They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Shooting the Shit with Chippa, the only show on the internet. Actually, that's a lie. The second show, nope, the fourth show on the internet where I talk to people. Um, this is Chris Chipman, the Chippa, the creator of the Chipman Brothers Tangent, creating geeks, the Talkbuster podcast, and this podcast, Shooting the Shit with Chippa. You can find me at patreon.com slash the Chippa. And just a little bit quick piece of housekeeping at the beginning. For all of my $15 or more patrons, I now say their name on this show. It's a little bit of incentive. You get your name um, set on the internet forever. It's kind of the idea. So those people would be Mason. Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, my mother, and Hugh K. Campbell Jr. And now I'll leave a spot for an ad. Today's podcast is brought to you by... My name is Gebetto Funkin, One Shoe Stumble, Knackle Timber Shivers, at your service. I'm looking for some friends of mine. The Many Pennies? The Many Pennies. Them. I know we've been really busy, but I think that all we need to do is just tackle the next thing on this 24-item to-do list and we'll be fine. Someone bring me some food. Also, my flask is empty. I need a refill. Nobody panic. I may have lost several scorpions. I said nobody panic. Check out this new skin patch on my cloak, guys. Guys? You know, I might be looking for someone else. I don't blame you. Adventure Incorporated, a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition actual play adventure podcast. New episodes every Monday. Find us at AdventureIncPod.com. And before we get into our icebreaker, right, quote, wrong movie, I'd like to introduce to you who I have tonight. So without further ado, my friend, tell the people who you are. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm Arthur Crane, a real name, Arturo Garza, um, fan of the show, basically, and I'm here to shoot the shit with Chippa. Awesome. So where are you from, um, Arturo? Uh, I am from Mexico. And awesome. You- you, if you can't tell from my accent, that's basically because I've been practicing English since I was in the first grade. So um, about where in Mexico? Uh, pretty north in Mexico, the city of Monterrey. Okay. It's, uh, pretty, it's about a three-hour drive from Laredo, Texas. Oh, all right. Basically. Cool. I, um, I, if, you've, if you've been following me for long enough, know that I've been to Mexico or I've been to the as I like to call it, the the place where all the Americans go, um, <laughs> Cancun. My sister got married there. My sister got married there last uh, last summer, and it was wonderful. I gotta oh, yeah, say, I think I think I saw those pictures. Yeah, it was wonderful. I um, I'd like to get down there more. I'd like to see, you know, my mother and aunt got to go, you know, into like you know the actual areas, right? It's like the difference of going to, you know, Manhattan or Orlando, Florida, and then you know going to where people actually live. You know, but um, it would be cool to see more. I wish I had gotten out of the uh, out of the resort a bit. You know. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. Um, def- there's definitely a section there that is pretty much tailor made to accommodate tourists from right. all over the world, from the U.S., Europe, etc. And um, yeah, it's real pretty down there. I have been there myself a couple times not in a not in several years i think the last time I was down there was around 2010 mm-hmm. so it's been a while so do you are you on the you're, you're up north but are you are you near the water or are you kind of just in the middle of the mainland like where geographically is that because if it's on the border of texas it could be in many places but 
Yeah, it's um, the region here is pretty arid. It's kind of sort of a desert, but it's also a little bit humid during the summer. Well, actually, pretty humid. Yeah, uh, it's kind of uh, almost right across the middle and towards the north. That's where I would be. The general area where I am is um, generally referred to as the north. It's not the most popular areas in Mexico. Um, when you think of Mexico, they probably think of, people th probably think of areas closer towards the south and the southeast, like Mexico City and um, everything else that's down there. It's basically in within Mexican history that that's where all the people would go, and up here at the north would be the people that nobody wanted, basically. Interesting. So are you, um, have, have you been to the U.S.? I know that's probably a silly question, but it's always good to ask. Uh, yes, I have been to the U.S. many times. Uh, I do frequent some cities in Texas because uh, part of that was because my dad has some business contacts over there and some pretty longtime uh, business partners. Uh, we would frequent cities like San Antonio and Dallas quite a bit. My parents do like to go there um, at least once a year to do shopping for like the holidays and maybe sometimes also spring break. Um, they they just find they just like find lots of stuff over there to bring over here during vacation. Right. Um, we basically travel there to shop and eat mainly. Uh, but we do, uh, yeah, we do try to do that at least once a year. Oh, that's awesome. Cause I, uh, you know, it's a pretty easy jaunt in the car, you know, it's not three hours, but 10, 11 hours I can be in Canada. So and, and me and my wife love it up there. So that's about the closest I have to a border, you know, that I can go on the mainland without taking a plane. You know, I'd, I'd much rather go by car. That's, that's my thing so it was weird to kind of arrive in cancun via plane because i'm looking at it on a map and going yeah but you know <laughs> southwest and then south uh, but um so so is it is your experience growing up because you said you've been you come here at least once a year is it a painless process pretty much to jump back and forth like that you know aside from the bullshit that our government is putting people through right now but you know, just to come and go, like, for vacations and things like that? We do try to make it as painless as possible. Um, thankfully, my family does have the ability to travel by air. We try okay. to avoid the highways as much as we can because... Because it's a shit um, show? That, yes. Not only is it a shit show at the border, but also because... Um, if you've heard any stories about the highways being dangerous places because... Um, organized crime, basically, there there yep. is truth to that. So have you lived there your whole life? Uh, yes, I have lived here my whole life, uh, born and raised here in Monterey. Um, I, I know I just said that um, historically uh, Monterey is the city that uh, this general, not just the city, but the general area is um, the place that people didn't like historically, but that's not really the case right now. Actually, Monterey is 
one of the at least within like the three biggest cities in the country and it's sort of a mini hub for a lot of businesses and particularly in the more towards the tech sector here in the country so um yeah i it which is good because that's my background that's what i i have a degree in computer technology and engineering so oh, awesome. it suits me I am also an engineer, which you probably know, but yeah, I do, but not the same kind. I'm the, well, I like to think that all engineers are the same, but the world tries to compartmentalize us, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I've, that's, I've experienced that. That's awesome. So do you, do you work in Monterey? Yes, I work here in Monterey. Uh, now, when I was fresh out of college, which was uh, summer of 2016, I did have a short uh, business opportunity that came up in Dallas, funny enough, precisely oh, awesome. because of the, of the business context that my dad had. The idea was that I was going to go there for one semester just to you know, get my feet wet for um, this one company that uh, it was a manufacturing company, but I was working like their IT department. Mm -hmm. I was there between August of 2016 and January of 2017. And like I said, the idea was that the initial deal was that I was going to be there for a semester. And then we would see if I could be accommodated to stay a little longer than that. And in the end, it didn't come to be. So I came back home. Also, it, it was... You guys just finished having an election, and no one wanted. No one knew what was going to happen there, so I was yeah. going to be playing safe. Yeah, and um, yeah, uh, you and me both, man. <laughs> I have, I I try not to delve into that too much because I'll just go off on a tirade. But um, it wasn't I, the biggest I'm factor. So, that I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's that's yeah, all I can no. really say to people <laughs> as a as a. As a American white male, I am so sorry. <laughs> yeah. I wish I wish I could just get that tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> oh my god, I'm, I'm so sorry, embarrassed. To white guy, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I'm not saying it was the biggest factor that led to me coming back home. Some of it, a little bit of that, was also on me. I was fresh out of college and kind of not knowing what to do with myself. But it was definitely on my mind and on my family's mind. And just in general, it was we thought it was for the best. Oh, yeah, I, I back up that decision. Um, so are you, so you're gainfully employed in Monterey, um, doing well? Do you, do you live with your family? Do you live on your own? Uh, yeah, pretty gainfully employed at the moment. I work as a tech analyst for a company that is for an American company that uh, I think has its uh, HQ in Arizona, but it also has um, several offices over the world, particularly um, in there's an office in India. I don't remember the city, but it is one of our main contacts over here in Monterey. And I've been I've been working at this company for a little under three months now. I recently changed jobs mm -hmm. and I, I feel like I've been doing pretty well. I've been, I feel pretty welcome at this place. I like the kind of job that I do. 
the learning curve is a little bit slow, but they told me that's to be expected and I don't really mind it so much. It's a bit of a slow and steady kind of thing, which I think suits my style of learning and doing things. I'm supposed to be coming up at the end of what they're calling my trial period, which is about three months long. Yep. And my manager is already telling me to go to this uh, team building slash leadership workshop that's going to be happening on the final week of my trial period. So I'm taking that as a good sign. Oh, it's a great I sign. Am, that I'm okay of where I'm at right now. And I say that because I have had some um, sort of embarrassing, well, to me, experiences in the past, like between coming back from Dallas and right now, where I was trying out a couple of jobs that didn't really work out. And I feel like that was just me being um, not so much uh, between not being really cut out for the job, but also just uh, having no idea what I was doing. Like... I'm at a point in my life where I feel like I am just now uh, realizing the kind of work that I want to do. Uh, I've been a little bit more towards uh, like system and managing rather than developing. I feel mm -hmm. like that's a little bit more my speed. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in college, I had the idea that that's, I was going to be more towards the side of development because that's what everybody wants to do and also it's the one thing you got to do if you want to make a good living that's what they would say but i feel like i've been discovering that there's actually um uh, a lot of branches that i could explore and i think this uh management branch that i'm currently in right now is something that i like and that's awesome something man. that i can really build a career around oh that's fantastic I, you know, I, I didn't mean to bore you with asking those questions. I hope I didn't, but that, uh, not, not at all. You know, I'm, no. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in the hiring side at my company, or at least I interview a lot of people. And I've, I've been there for 11 years. And I, one of my favorite things is to keep in contact, you know, with anybody that comes through, you know, even if they're not a good fit for the company, I like keeping in contact and following up and going, did you find a job? Like, how'd you do, man? Cause I, you know, I remember being there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I remember five years into this place, looking back and going, do I even like what I do, you know, and, and knowing like first interviews, all that it's, it's a complete crapshoot finding work anymore, you know, especially finding something that a you like. Bit, yeah. And, um, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Cause I know about my experience here in Boston where, you know, I'm lucky uh, I'm not in Boston, but this area is. You know, if if you're looking, it's not the hardest area to find a job in. You know what I mean? But um, it's also jobs disappear and show up and disappear and show up. And, you know, uh, so it's it's good to hear, you know, somebody from a from an area of that's pretty close by that I don't really understand. I don't really understand the the Mexican economy and everything else. So so to get to talk to someone else in a similar me that's doing well, that that makes me happy, you know. Yeah, I feel like what you said about um, being relatively easy to find work in Boston kind of also applies here in Monterey. Um, and I was transitioning between jobs. It didn't. I've already been doing that. I've already done that more than once, where I'm like in between jobs, and those times it usually takes about a month to find something else, and that's pretty fast from what. Yeah. I Oh yeah, 
I've been I, I do some podcasts with some guys out in uh the, one of the guy I think is in Utah or Idaho and the other one's in um Washington State or Oregon. I think it's Washington State. And the the guy in Idaho has been in, in the same field as us and he's been out of work for about a year, gainfully trying, like interviewing weekly, you know, and just hitting a wall and it's like, Oh, that sucks, man. Like I <laughs> I wish. But um yeah, so uh you know, obviously you know, we're we're both on this podcast today because we're we're geeky and like similar things. I mean, your Twitter handle is Spiderham. That's <laughs> which, right. Which makes me so happy every time I see it. I always know, I always know it's you. Like it's like <laughs> I can be like half asleep and go, someone shared my. Oh yeah, it's Spiderham. <laughs> <laughs> so man, I just love that movie so 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 much. I didn't realize how much I needed it. Yeah, the other day I was thinking of what were my favorite movies of last year, and mm-hmm. I kept coming back to Into the Spider-Verse. And it's hands down. Yeah, and it's definitely my top from last year, and I am a bit of an animation nerd, or at least I like mm-hmm. to consider myself that, and that movie was a treat. I've never like, seen a thing like it. It's a it's the kind of movie that really did get better the more time I saw it. Yeah, I, I, was I on, loved I loved I was how able, the, sorry. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, it's uh, it's me. I'm excited. Don't mind yeah. me. Yeah, I was only able to see it once when it was in theaters, but I was all over it when it came out on digital. I just loved like digging into it, like memorizing lines from the movie and just getting and in between all that i was also looking at videos that like break down the animation yeah because like all the different styles and how they combine the different characters and how they all look like they're from different realities which is the plot of the movie but they blend together so well uh one of my favorite videos i'm gonna i'm about to plug one of those uh, is from a channel called Filmjoy. It's run by this guy called Mikey Newman. Really great guy. Love his yep, videos. Yeah, I know Mikey Newman. Yeah, he recently did one on Into the the technology of Into the Spider Verse, where he breaks down um, the techniques that were used to bring the movie to life and how, at least on the he focused on the comic book style of uh, characters like Miles and his world. Not so much uh, a little. He did touch a little bit, I think, on the other characters. But again, that kind of stuff, I just ate up. I watched a um, it was a quick little Twitter thread from the girl who animated the Spider Gwen drum sequence. Uh huh. And it's like a quick throwaway, but super like badass, you know, sequence from the movie. And it blended like six different styles of animation to get the movement that she wanted. And she went through like how she took it to like, you know, her bosses and to Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who were like producers who had like given her a chance. I think it was like her first gig, like out of college was animating this sequence and just talking about all the amazing, like super um, supportive feedback she got and how it made her aspire. Like they weren't like, they weren't hitting her with, no, you have a deadline and you have to get this done. Do it again. It's no, this is amazing. And we know that it's going to get even more amazing the more time you spend with it. So go and hit it out of the park, you know, and in, instead of like, oh, and by the way, you have to get that done so you can do the next thing. It's like, I love that animation can still be this, you know, hotbed of creativity and not just, oh, like a thousand people in a room, 
you know, crunching away until the movie's done. You know, I, I love that. That was just for Gwen. Yeah, said. that was just for the drum sequence. There's just a quick cut aside of her playing like, the drums. Like a second and a half of animation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was actually thinking the other day of whether or not it was time to update my Twitter handle, but I think I'm going to keep it around for a little longer. Oh, it just makes gonna me smile. I'm going to keep Spider-Ham around a little longer. Yeah, it just makes me smile. And why are your hands wet? <laughs> oh, Spider-Ham <laughs> is so awesome. And a good choice for voice actor, too. I, I was surprised how good of a job he did. John that Mulaney? Was, yeah, that was a lot of John fun. John Ham. Yep, exactly. That's the honest trailer joke. Yep. Yep. Oh, those guys yeah. are great. Yeah. Those guys are great. So um, as we transition to the geeky portion of the conversation, um, let's play a game. This will be like Saw. You can't escape. No, I'm kidding. Um, Damn it. This, this game is a game I've been developing with a buddy at work, and I don't know if you've listened to any of the recent episodes where I've played it. Um, have you or have you not? Uh, please refresh my memory. Cool. No, I just don't want to bore you if, if I have already. So this game is called Right Quote Wrong Movie. And the idea is you've got um, 10 quotes. That's your hand of 10 cards as if we were playing cards against humanity. That's what I've based it on. And I have 10 quotes that are not the same as yours. And you are going to pick a number between 3 and 145. And... Um, that number is going to draw at random a name of a movie. And the idea is you and I are going to throw one of our quotes out that we either think fits in a funny way or in an ironic way, or wow, that just fits really well with that movie, but it's not going to be a quote from that movie. Do you get it? And so for example, if someone asks if you're a God, you say yes, which is from the ghostbusters passion of the Christ. Or I think we're going to need a bigger boat, Titanic, stuff like that. So that's kind of the idea. And it's meant to just be humorous and silly and a good relaxing icebreaker. Does it make sense? So you say the quote and then you say the wrong movie. Nope. Um, we are going to pick a movie. So you're going to say a number between 3 and 145 for round one. And that's going to give us a movie. And I'm going to say the movie. And then you and I are going to try to come up with a quote from our 10 quotes that goes with that movie, but it's not a quote from that movie. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Gotcha. All right. So give me a number between three and 145. And if it's a movie neither one of us have seen or we don't want to do, we can just pick another one. 27. 27. Evil Dead. I take it we've both seen the Evil Dead? Uh-huh. Okay. So out of your quotes... Pick a quote that you think either in a funny, ironic, or it just fits perfectly way goes with the Evil Dead, and then I'll do the same for mine, and we'll see whose is more fun. Sometimes dead is better. Nice. Oh, good choice. Um, and one of my quotes is from the Evil Dead, so I'm not going to use that. Um, Nailed it. We're not playing together. But then again, we're not playing against each other either. It's like the Nature Channel. Rounders. <laughs> I think yours is way better. So you take the first round. So give me another number between 3 and 145. 51. 51. 
Passion of the Christ. Wow. <laughs> okay. Let's see. That's how much fuck fish adaptation. The Passion of the Christ. How about you? Here's looking at you, kid. <laughs> Perfect. I think you got that one as well. All right, one more. Three, three to one forty-five. One hundred and two. One hundred and two. Goldfinger. Good old-fashioned James Bond. Go ahead. One-stop shopping. Everything you need, right at your fingertips. Nice. It's Dawn of the Dead, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to call her Lunch. Hello, Lunch. Hello. Ew. Avoid the greed ones. They're not ripe yet. (laughs) I think I'm going to give that one to you. Fish called Wanda. So, yeah, that's right. Quote, wrong movie. Um, I'm actually going to play it when I do my live Talkbuster recording that should be being released for ticket sales, and then I'll be able to advertise for it within the next half an hour. I'm really excited about that. I um I went to a venue. I've been working on this for six months, and I'm going to do a live talk buster at in Salem, where that's where the store I worked at was with my whole crew that I used to work there. And we're going to do awesome. a live. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm so excited. I pitched it to a little like rock club in downtown, so it's kind of small and intimate. And they're like, "Oh my god, we've been trying to get podcasts in here forever." So like they were like psyched about it. I'm like, I thought I was going to have to like pitch it. They're like, "No, no, no, we want to do this. Like, get in here." I'm like, all right, cool, <laughs> sweet. So, so that's right. Quote wrong movie, and I hope to turn it into a real game. So, if you're, if if you like it, um, keep listening and help me hawk it once I start selling it. Whenever that ends up, because I just can't stop doing stuff. <laughs> so, with that, was, um, go ahead. Sorry, I was just thinking of where here's looking at you, kid, would fit in Passion of the Christ, and now I can't help but think of. Pilot saying that to Jesus. Oh my God! Yeah, that's actually exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Either that or something involving Judas. Yeah, maybe. Like right after he gives him the uh, the kiss of death there. Yeah. Like I know what you did, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know, um, it, it's that movie, that movie, that movie, that movie. Anyway, um, it, so. It sure so, is a movie. It sure is a movie. Um, so, what else do we got moving on? So, what have have, have you seen anything interesting recently that uh, that you want to go back and forth about, or what's your what what geeky things are you into the most? You, I, I know that you loved Spider Ham and into the Spider Verse, but let's uh, what what's a what's something you're into, dude? Outside of listening to my show, ding. Well, let me see. Uh, I already said animation, mm-hmm. and so if you don't mind, I would like to talk a little more about animation. I all ears, my friend. Um, go for it. Okay, so if we're gonna talk about something recent about animation, um, I guess the biggest thing going on right now is that people were lots of people that I know, both online and around me were a little skeptical about it, but turns out that Toy Story 4 is getting pretty damn good early reviews. Oh my god, you, you went to the same thing that I was going to want to talk about. That's great. <laughs> what, tell, 
We are in sync. Uh, can you repeat that? You got a little cut off. Oh, yeah. First for Toy out. Really excited to see them and then watch them and went. I feel un- this makes me sad. And I, and I was right. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. It's, All right, cool. Uh, you, and, and and you heard what I said, right? It came and went. Can you go, say that again? I will do it one more time. And we're we're clear as crystal now. Yeah, it get it got better. Okay. Yeah, this is around this time of night. I get like internet pings, and I don't know why. Um. So when I saw the trailer for Toy Story Four, I was very underwhelmed, and that made me sad because I like love the those first movies. Teaser trailer? Yeah, and I love those movies so much. And I don't know why. There was yeah. just something something about it that didn't feel right. Did kind you get the of. same feeling? Kind of, yeah. Like it wasn't just the sense that it kind it felt a little perfunctory because the f- movies one through three felt like a cycle that was complete. Like right. a story that came that had reached like what could be called the most natural endpoint it could go to and this one just felt like it were like was just kind of kept like like an epilogue that maybe we didn't need to see like, yeah just like this odd, weird extra chapter in that story at least yeah, that's and- where it felt like it was going and i haven't seen the movie and maybe that's what it'll be but um I don't know. I guess there's still some magic left in Toy Story after all. And my, my brother said it was great, and I, I I trust him when it comes to these things. And you know, it it's it's amazing to me because it used to be that you know you just didn't question Pixar. If Pixar wants to make a sequel, oh, yeah. great, great. Pixar gets to make a sequel. Like you know, we we don't care. I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but Toy Story two was originally going to be a straight to video thing. I think because, I remember that. Because Pixar didn't want to be a sequel house, but Disney wanted them to do it because the first one made so much money that they decided to do it as a, you know, just so they'd put a little less money into it in case it didn't work out. And when they delivered the script, um, Disney and the heads at Pixar went, oh, no, 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 this is gold. And I mean, and they were right. Toy Story 2 is freaking gold. You know, <laughs> absolutely. But imagine that as a straight to video movie like and then the third one, I remember looking at the trailers for the third one and going, I, I kind of don't need this. And then I watched it and I went, oh, God, I needed this so bad. <laughs> you know, that movie went hard, That movie like was way dark. harder than it needed to go. That movie was dark. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not sure if it's how valid that opinion would be, but I do think number three is my favorite mostly because I watched, I feel like I watched it at just the right time where I was old enough to be nostalgic for toy story one and two, but also kind basically the right age for it. I was basically a little younger than Andy was in that movie. So I was basically like, right. The perfect age for this movie to tear my heart out. Now, Toy Story 3 is, is my unabashed favorite. I've gone back through the three of them a bunch. And that one, that one's just, it, it's everything that's great about the first two, like, 
saturated down into just a gut punch of a it, it the thing that i love about all three of those movies is it never once is condescending to its audience like those movies treat their audience it doesn't matter if who they're trying to talk to is a kid or an adult they treat you like you're intelligent and that you understand the feelings that it's making you deal with and that's brilliant that's like some mr rogers shit you know <laughs> and i i love that about those three movies and you know inside out was the same way inside out just kind of went hey feelings yeah you know those you got them those are complicated aren't they what if feelings had feelings? Yeah. Oh my God, that movie's brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I'm really excited. I'm glad you brought up Toy Story Four because one, it looks gorgeous. The and and I even said that at the teaser trailer. It's like, oh, what a missed opportunity if this isn't good because it looks like they put everything into it. You know. Yeah, it re- it really pops like every time I see it in a trailer. So it definitely had that going for it. It gained. Um, it gained points when they revealed Keanu Reeves' character in the later trailers, too. <laughs> that made me want to see it a little bit more. I'm like, all right, that's pretty funny. What's his name? Duke Kaboom? Duke Kaboom, yep. The Canadian evil Knievel? Duke Kaboom, like, reminds me of, a like, an early Simpsons character. You know? <laughs> like that I think like... I know which one you mean. I'm like I... a... I was obsessed with, like, the basically the first 15 years of the Simpsons. Oh yeah. So I do think I know what character you're talking I about. I loved I forget his up. name, but Yeah, me too. He was that one daredevil yep. who showed up in a couple episodes and he would just bite oh. it every single episode. Yep. And there would always be an announcer that's like he's all right, folks. Yep. Even though he's being pulled away in an ambulance. Yeah, with like his Very ground on the ground next to him. Yeah. Um what was I going to say? Yeah, I loved growing up in a world where I watched every episode of the first 15 years of that show on the night it was on. And it's just it's a different world now, right? People don't consume stuff the same way. But I I loved going to school on a Monday and having it be that's all anyone was talking about. Everybody watched The Simpsons. You know, it was so cool. It, it was it again. Has it been on for too long? You betcha. But am I happy that it's still on? Yeah, I kind of am. <laughs> you know, I don't really watch it, but I'm happy that it's there. <laughs> I catch up on it from time to time. Yeah. I, it, it can still be pretty, pretty damn funny. I, I, I it's agree. just, it's just kind of, it's, it's stagnant, but it's the Simpsons and I love it. Yeah. So what I'm, are you a stop motion animation fan? Uh, stop motion. Um, well, when I think stop motion, I think Ardman, the yeah. Ramad guys. Yep. But other than that, I wouldn't say that I'm super fluent in stop motion. I do. It does feel like it's um, something that we don't see a lot of anymore today, yeah. which is a bit of a shame. Maybe it's because maybe they think it's like too cumbersome or it's just not as accessible anymore. Like everything, everything is moving to digital. I mean, that's basically what the Lego movies are. It's stop motion in computers. Yes, it is. Um, The the folks at Leica who did um, Paranorman, they're still doing it. But they've even Ardman has started doing this. They've they've done. They're kind of incorporating the stuff that we use in live action movies into it. So to make sure the stop motion 
can be as beautiful as possible. The sets are often all green screened and digital. And then the characters are just being animated by hand, Uh which is still pretty cool. But when you look at like the sets where they're making these, it looks more like an Avengers film, you know, with like green panels and everything up everywhere. And, and then a little stop motion character. But I don't know if you've watched any of their films on, on DVD or in the, have you seen Paranorman or any of those? I've seen Coraline. I've seen Paranorman. Yep. And I've seen uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. Cool. I haven't seen them as much as other movies, but I have seen them. The thing, the innovative thing that they've done, because their movies don't make any money, but the innovative thing that they've done is they've started using 3D printing to make the, um, the skin, basically, that goes over the armatures. So they can basically make any expression they want, but quick. So there's no more like a million clay Jack Skellington heads. Uh-huh. You know, they they can just 3D print whatever they want. And so they started that in Coraline and it looked fantastic. Um, and Coraline actually was Henry Selleck, the guy that directed The Nightmare Before Christmas, which I always thought was really cool. Um, uh-huh. But um. A cool thing, if you since since you are an animation fan, that's worth looking up is any of those movies, Kubo, Paranorman. They have these cool making of reels on YouTube where they took two shots of every animation cell. So they'd take a shot with the animator off screen, and then they'd take a shot where he moved the armature to, but standing there holding it. So you see the armature move but you see the animator holding it like he's moving it through the motions. And it just makes these incredible, like they kind of show him in like kind of transparent or translucent. So he's kind of almost there. And it, it just really, really drives the art form home. Um, and the box trolls trailer, which is a movie they did. The whole trailer was just showing some scenes of the actual movie, but then showing puppets and they played, they've got the whole world in their hands over it while they're doing it. And I'm like, they're they're putting their artists at the forefront. And I felt like the spider verse ads and background material was doing the same thing. You know, it's just, we're, we're promoting the fact that, no, this isn't one guy making a movie. This is a whole team. And I love Yeah, that's that's really cool. I did know a little bit about what Leica does to make all their puppets, like the 3D printing machine that you that you were talking about. And I think they actually put some of those segments you described where you see the animator move everything around in the credits of some of their movies. They I think do, they did yeah. that one for Kubo, where there was this one set piece where they had a puppet that needed basically an entire room. With yeah. It, it, there was like the tiny the little tiny characters and then this thing that takes up the whole room it was like a big skeleton monster big red skeleton monster and it based they basically need to like coordinate so much just to get it to move the way they wanted to and they kind showed you just a little bit of that process like in between the credits like where like the mid credit scene of a marvel movie would go that's yes. what they showed yeah, the, they they do great stuff like that at the end of all of them. The box trolls had a cool one, where two of the villain characters are just standing there by a streetlight, and they they look up at the camera and they go, "Do you ever think like there's some greater power controlling you?" 
And he goes, yeah, sometimes I just feel like I'm, I'm not in control of my own motions. And the camera starts pulling out, and it pulls out, and you see that they're on a set, and all the animators are just walking around. And I'm like, all right, that's pretty cool. <laughs> like, good job, guys. I think guys. I've seen that clip. <laughs> yeah, good job, guys. So what's, um, you know, we, we went into Toy Story. We did some Leica. What's some more cool examples of, of the, the best of recent animation that you can think of? best of reason animation or just you know good stuff i mean you're you're an animation freak like me so what's uh maybe something i haven't seen or maybe just whatever whatever pops into your head man well if we're talking about what animation is like most like what i got most in the brain right now yeah uh i'm a pretty big fan of the animated productions of rooster teeth hey everybody Wanted to start out this section of this episode of Shooting the Shit with Arturo Garza Flores, um, where we talk about Rooster Teeth and the cartoons they made. Um, there's been some allegations about crunch work um, put onto the employees at Rooster Teeth recently. So um, um, Arturo Garza Flores and I um, have this statement, and this is um, Arturo's words and me saying them as an editor's note. Um, so here you go. Regardless of my opinion on the output of Rooster Teeth, I acknowledge the stories of former employees regarding difficult working conditions and poor management, including extensive crunch periods, and I don't approve of this. I also acknowledge the statement made by RT CEO Matt Hullum as of today, and as of today was this past Monday, um, that was the 17th of June 2019. Um, regarding effective immediately changes happening at Rooster Teeth because of this, including outreach to management consulting and having the Rooster Teeth head of animation step down to a more creative and less management-related role. Regardless of whether, whether this is a move to save face or something that was planned, this has already been a more promising response than that of other companies reported to promote crunch culture, and I hope there will be change in the future. For now, I think it's in the best interest of the Rooster Teeth community to keep pushing for change and make sure that these decisions bring about the results Rooster Teeth employees would want. Um, if you're part of the Too Long Didn't Read community, you can go with, there's nothing wrong with liking entertainment, but that doesn't mean people making it should be miserable because of it. Which I, and I know because it's Arturo's words, wholeheartedly agree with. Um, a few additional thoughts that um, are had here. Um... I don't think the Rooster Teeth management are bad people, but they are people who need to get their shit together. They're very receptive to public perception, like when they cut ties with voice actor Vic Mignona because of his sexual harassment history, and they knew associations to him would be toxic, which is better than video game companies like BioWare, Rockstar, etc., who seem to be very publicly proud of their crunch. Even if they're course-correcting just because it's good for business, it's better than admitting your shit and doing nothing. I don't think it's super surprising that Rooster Teeth would fall into crunch culture. They've always had the self-image of being kind of scrappy and easygoing. Also, there was Monty Ohm, for whom there were plenty of anecdotes of how he would push himself like crazy with his work to the point where he basically lived only for it. I feel like this behavior was glorified by both Rooster Teeth staff and fans, especially after his passing, and I hope it's making people reevaluate that mentality and how unhealthy it can be. 
I think we all had a part to play in this mess. I was under the suspicion that something wasn't quite right with the Rooster Teeth animation for a while. 2018 to 2019 had its biggest output of shows to date, but 2019 has had several shows go missing in action with no updates from the staff. I was looking at it as a matter of popularity in the studio focusing on more popular ones, but it never crossed my mind that it could be related to crunch. I feel this was very self-centered of me, and I feel a little bad about it. And so that's the statement from Arturo Garza Flores, who is my guest on this episode of Shooting the Shit, as a little bit of an editor's note addendum to our discussion on Rooster Teeth animation. Thank you. I'm not sure if you're Yo. familiar with any of them. I am familiar with some, but um, their stuff is fantastic. Yeah, like what's cool to me about uh, RT animation in general is that they're like this mid-level size studio but they they have like they have had a lot of variety of the kind of shows they do and they have uh crazy amounts of polish and talent behind them even the, this despite their size like their most recent production is a show called Genlock which is a mech a mech show a show about giant mechs and it was basically their biggest production to date it's all 3D they're working with with huge Hollywood talent like Michael B. Jordan is in the cast, also um, David Tennant. Uh, they they're doing they play characters on that show, and it looks fantastic. It's you it looks super professional. You wouldn't think that it comes from a studio that is relatively small compared to like a Disney or um, Warner Brothers, etc. Um, yeah, and I dig it. It's a uh, it has some pretty cool sci-fi ideas going on about uh, identity and what makes you who you are. There's like a pretty big twist involving the main character in like the very first episode that kind of throws you for a loop over what to expect for his arc. And um, to get into more of that would be spoiling the show. Gotcha. So that's awesome. So what else? Um, are there anything else from Rooster Teeth that is high on top of your brain right now? Um, as a matter of fact, uh, yeah. Um, so one of their... They've been making moves towards uh, 2D animation recently. It's still done in computers, but I still think that's pretty cool. Uh, their big 2D show at the moment is, one, is this comedy called Camp Camp. It's like a raunchy comedy set in a summer camp that I like to describe the show as South Park for people that don't like South Park, where it still <laughs> kind of has like that raunchy sense of humor, but it doesn't make you feel bad for liking stuff, basically. Right. Like the main character is this little 10 year old boy who's kind of a real shithead and this super peppy and upbeat uh, camp counselor and that's like the main dynamic be of the show, like they how they bounce off each other and maybe like rub off on one another in terms of their personality. And it kind of gives them like a little arc to develop as people and characters. And it does lead to some pretty sweet moments. But like the big hook of the show is um, here's a bunch of kids at summer camp and things get weird and they and maybe uh, a bit raunchy. Nice. 
Yeah, I'll have to check that out too. I is there stuff all through the like viewer on their site, or do they put things on YouTube? What, what I forget what their stuff is because I see it in a bunch of different places. Yeah, they do put some stuff on YouTube. Um, for the last few years, it has been more towards um, live their some of their live action content. As far as animation is concerned, they do try to push their website as the place to go to see that. They have a subscription service where you can watch uh, some of their stuff in advance, like a week ahead of time. And they have been making moves to uh, keep the animation on the website and put things on YouTube like much, much later because of things like ad revenue, of maybe course. not being what they're looking for to keep up production of shows like this. For example, just now they're putting out the third season of Camp Camp on YouTube, even though they just started the fourth season on their website. <laughs> Good for them. Mm -hmm. uh, there's this one other series that is that was produced by Rooster Teeth. I'm not sure if it's still in production, but it was this 2D animated series that came out uh, last year. It's called uh, Nomad of Nowhere. And that show became a little special to me because it's a show that like flew a little bit more under the radar. Mm -hmm. It didn't have like the big marketing push of shows like uh, Genlock or Ruby, which is their big other like anime inspired show. And it, felt really special to me. Like, I really got endeared to the characters and the story. And um, I'm kind of, like, like chomping at the bit to, see, to hear any news of whether or not they're going to keep producing that show. Because while I dear, really enjoyed it, I still recognize that why it wouldn't get the push necessarily that other shows have. For one thing, it's uh, it's sort of like this mashup of a fantasy and a western it takes place in this land that used to have magic like hundreds of years ago but the ruler of this land this king basically outlawed it and hunted down anyone who uses it and the only person that has magic anymore is this being called the nomad which has resurfaced after about a hundred years and has made his presence felt again and is traveling around the land helping people and basically working himself up to save people from this mad king and it's not just because of the concept is it do i feel like this show would be hard to push to market but this main character the nomad is kind of an it's a bit of an oddity when it comes to like the protagonist of a show he's pretty unconventional in a lot of ways. For example, you for most of the show of this first season, you don't get to see his face. All you see is his, he's covered up by a hat with a big brim. He has like a bandana over his head. The only thing you see are his eyes, which are animated almost like Spider-Man or Deadpool eyes, like when oh, they put cool. on the mask. And he doesn't talk. He has no dialogue. He expresses himself uh, entirely through physical motions. He's animated sort of like um sort of like a classic Looney Tune sort of character. Maybe oh, I'm looking I'm looking at the pictures right now. Maybe not as exaggerated, but he definitely has a lot of like much more fluid motion, more over the top, more dramatic. There's like accompanying sound effects. Everyone else is animated in like a more realistic kind of way. And that is 
And again, he has no voice. He doesn't talk. So it's it's a pretty weird uh, protagonist for a show. And that does. And what I liked about him is that they still managed to not uh, pigeonhole him into this one role that I was kind of expecting him to go to, where he would be um, more about being like this silly character wandering the world and doing his thing. No, they actually give him like this pretty concrete arc about learning that he maybe he doesn't like it or whether he likes it or not, he kind of has this responsibility or duty to do something about the shitty condition of the land that he lives in, that he's wandering through. Uh, there are these two supporting characters that do uh, also their own kind of heavy lifting. There's this this young girl named Scout that is uh, working herself up to uh, please this uh, other woman that she works with named Toth, who's like uh, pretty pretty dead set on tracking down the nomad and bringing him to justice because he's being branded as a criminal. And they both go through and through some pretty interesting evolutions of their characters over like the 12 or so episodes of this season. And they both end up in places that are were pretty surprising to me. Like it, at first it feels like they're kind of like, it's that relationship between the two that will become um, what they're all about. And there are some moments that kind of tease that that's what's going to happen. Like the, and that it's not, maybe not entirely a platonic friendship, maybe. Like there's at least like one point in the series where they like they where one of the characters like catches themselves when they're trying to explain to each other how much they mean to them, but they do take that in some pretty unexpected and kind of dark directions. That well, maybe dark is not the right word, but a little more tragic. Yeah. Oh. We, yeah, like that's the cool thing for me about this show that it. Like the general tone at the beginning made it feel like it was gonna be like a like a sort of a family show with a bit of an edge to it. But then around like the fifth or so episode, it starts to go into some slightly darker places. Like the fifth episode has the nomad running into this creepy undertaker that basically wants to um tear him open to see how his magic works, basically. And it's a pretty creepy scene, and it even has a reference to what i like to think is a reference to roger rabbit of all things uh oh, wow. have, you, have, you, have you heard the term bumping the lamp yes i have well it has a moment of bumping the lamp and that kind of uh it was a real like i see what you did there kind of moment that i really dug wow and going back to this guy the nomad what makes him part of what makes him unconventional is that his only power that we've seen so far is that he has the ability to bring inanimate objects to life. And what's cute is that when he brings objects to life, they get googly eyes and like little stick figure arms and they like have minds of their own, but they still like do his bidding sort of. It's pretty cute. So like that kind of sets up that expectation that, oh, this is gonna be like fluffy and light and fun. But around that episode that I just mentioned, not only do we see like something a little bit more darker, but we also get to learn more about the backstory of this world and how things got this bad and how the relationship between uh, Scout and Toth is complicated and maybe not maybe not what they would want it to be. Stuff like that. Huh. Anyway, uh, 
I absolutely I've... have to check this out. Like I said, the main reason why I have this show on my mind so much is because I really dug it and I really want to see another season of it. But the thing about Rooster Teeth is that they're very, they're not very good at telling you what shows are in production and which are not. Like they have this very weird schedule where if you know something is super popular, like it's one of their flagship series, you it's for granted that it is going to happen. Like they're going to keep going until they tell you it's not. But a smaller show like this is a bit of a feels like it's a bit of a crapshoot, honestly. And it would, and personally, I think it would really suck if we don't get another season because it really feels like it's going to some interesting places. And maybe, and again, it's part of the novelty for me that it's this smaller, more personal to me kind of show. But if I totally understand why it wouldn't get the push of other shows, like I said before. Hmm. So, um, I I gotta check out more of the stuff Rooster Teeth does. That that sounds really cool. So I also like it because talking about it online is has like a pretty small community of fans. Yeah. Uh, some of their bigger, like older shows, like Ruby, for example, which is another show that I have a lot on the brain, but I find it hard to talk about it online because it's kind of a minefield, basically. Lots gotcha. of heated opinions based on some, on a lot of the, the show has had history. Like it's, gotcha. it's mainly remembered outside of um, like the core fan base as a show that was whose creator, this man named Montiome, uh very suddenly and tragically passed away a few years ago, just like when the show was starting to break through into like the broader, more mainstream um anime community um and that has like been like w hanging over the show for a couple years now and it's even something that has been in a way referenced by the characters like the creator of the show had this mantra of keep moving forward which is something that has been appropriated a lot by both the makers of the show the ones that kept it going after he was gone and also rooster teeth as a whole and it's a very nice message, and but at the same time, the show has been going through some changes in like in tone and structure and how it tells its story, and it's just uh, I don't know what is it about those changes. I I still really enjoy that show, but I guess it just rubs some people the wrong way. Interesting. I'll have to check that one out too. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how much into anime you are, but... A lot, I think... a lot. Oh, when I was okay. a lot younger, okay. it was all-consuming. <laughs> and yeah. now it's more of a passing, um, only because I don't have as much time. Like, I, I don't really consume much outside of, you know, the more bigger Hollywood. I, I'm I'm a horror nut, so that's, like, the thing that I... I doesn't matter what it is, I'll see it. But, um, which is kind of a weird thing, but... uh. Yeah, I mean, when I was 15, 16, you know, my entire collection, you know, was Vampire Hunter D and Ninja Scroll and Akira and Dragon Ball Z and Neon Genesis Evangelion and um, Cowboy Bebop and, mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know, it just goes on and on and on. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah. so, and that and that's what I'm. That's the vibe I'm getting out of these shows you're describing. You know, I I got a lot of Vampire Hunter D out of out of some of the stuff um, that you were describing. I loved that. Loved that. Yeah. You said Have that you you're. Seen... Uh, go sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you said big that you time. Were like a horror nerd. Yes. Uh, if I'm ever on the show again, I would like you to talk to me about horror because that's something that I've been trying to get just a little more into lately. Oh yeah, of course. Like there was. Uh, Basically, like when I was growing up with my parents at their house, they don't like horror movies at all. Like they freak my mom out. My dad thinks they're just senseless suffering, basically. But I have been trying Depends to. Depends on the one. Yeah. And um, even when I was a teen, I did get like the occasional horror movie. Maybe not, maybe not in theaters, um, but at home or any chance that I got. But yeah, I would love to for you to talk horror with you and maybe oh, learn absolutely a yeah no and and yeah come come please like as soon as we're done recording here think about another time you'd like to come on i'd love to do that because it's um i've i love horror um and and like i said there's you know there's something but he said there's there's an escapism about it um you know and i'm not always in the mood for everything the genre has to offer I I love the current resurgence of super thinky horror that we're getting back. I I love both of Jordan Peele's horror flicks that he's made. I don't know if you've seen Get Out or Us. But I those have. those are pinnacle examples of just a perfect use of that genre um in in my opinion. But um a cool one um, and if you've never seen it, I, I might request you do it as a little bit of homework if you can find it for our next recording, just because it'll give you a little bit of idea into the mindset of where I live and where I'm from is mm-hmm. there's this little movie called Session Nine. Have you ever heard of it? I don't think I have. So Session Nine, it was filmed at a mental hospital in Danvers, which is two towns away from me. And this was like a notorious place that closed in the early 90s. And it is the mental hospital that H.P. Lovecraft named Arkham after. Like, he went to this place and visited it and said, yes, this is my Arkham. So the Arkham in the books, when he describes what that hospital is like, it's based on Danvers State Mental Hospital. Kind of nutty. So Danvers State Mental Hospital was closed, and that's like where, you know, teenagers around here would always go and break in, you know, and drink in the basement and stuff and take videos. And there's a ton of videos you can find on YouTube of what this place looked like. But they started renovating it. And when they started renovating it, a local director, um, the guy who made The Machinist with uh, Christian Bale. um, I haven't seen the movie, but I have seen screenshots. Yeah, that's a great one, too. That's a very cool movie. But that same director made this movie right before that. And the idea is it's a crew of people that are going to renovate Danvers State Mental Hospital. And they encounter some tapes of a recording of like an interview with a patient that was there. And one of the guys starts going insane and weird stuff starts happening. And it's just a cool movie. It's really low budget. And they just, they didn't have to do much in the way of dressing the place up to make it scary as hell. Cause it just looked scary as hell, you know, and living close to it, 
you know, I remember, I remember being knowledgeable that they were filming there and we were all like, Oh, I can't wait to see the movie they're filming up there. And, um, that's, it's just such a good movie. And my friends ended up living there and we watched it in the Kirkbride building, which is the still standing section that looks like the old place did. They had like a room you could rent and it was just so creepy. (laughs) But yeah, I'd, I'd love to do a horror episode. That'd be great. Uh, you did bring up uh, Jordan Peele's movies. Yeah. Um, it. I just remembered that he tweeted something about how he's in Toy Story Four, and he was he tweeting something like, "Like this is Bunny, and he's my favorite rabbit in a movie this year." And I was like, <laughs> "I see what you did." <laughs> it's him and Key too, which is yeah, I think it's is a really cool. Key and Peele reunion. Yeah, which I've is only awesome. seen clips uh, of several of the sketches of Kim Peel, like some of like the fan favorites, like yep. the the ballets, the substitute teacher, those ones. Yep. And yeah, they're they're fucking funny. They are, and I'm it, I'm glad that like two creative minds that split and went their own separate ways are still so amicably cool with each other. You know, is is a really cool thing to see nowadays rather than it being you know just a pride pissing contest like so many other people yeah um it'll be cool i'd I'd like to see uh keegan michael key show up in one of his horror movies i think that'd be kind of fun i just finished i i talked to someone the other night about this i finished the whole run of his twilight zone show and that was pretty cool it's not perfect but it's pretty cool the new Twilight Zone? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, particularly the final episode. The final episode is of the season is really cool. They they do some cool stuff. I think that's that show's only available on CBS, CBS All Access. Service. Their streaming yep. service. Okay. Yeah. I haven't looked up if I have access to it right uh, at the moment. I still have to look that up. Um, it's kind of weird for me to get into streaming services that aren't like the big ones because yeah. sometimes they're subject to availability here in this region. Like, I feel like it was only recently that I was able to acquire HBO Go without much of a hassle. Oh, that sucks. Which, I, uh, yeah, it's kind of weird where it's an app that first that it was only available on my phone, but only like in cer- only certain versions of like of the store, like only like the US not over here, but I finally got it to work. Uh, I basically got HBO Go because I picked a really weird time to try to watch Game of Thrones. I've seen the first season, and the plan is to uh, go through the rest of the series at some point. I don't know where I'm going to find the time. Same boat as me. Me me and you are in the same boat. (laughs) I feel like I'm left out of some great big like club because I haven't seen it all. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I, thanks to social media, I am very aware of what's being what what went down with that show's final season. But yep. I'd rather still see it all for myself because oh, I course, feel like same. that's an important experience of. Like they could tell you the spoilers, but you still got to see that for yourself to fully understand the spoilers i think oh of course of course i um i wish i had time to, there's so much tv available there's yeah, so there's, much 
I basically have no downtime. There's like no moment where I'm like, what am I going to watch or do right now? I have this just massive backlog of everything, like movies, TV, video games, whatever. Like I, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's absurd. Yeah. The only way I'm able to see movies now is taking long lunch breaks on Fridays at work. There's a theater right near my work really? and I'll just, I'll, yeah. Cause I mean, we have two kids, right? I mean, we'll, we'll go to the drive-in. We do have a drive-in about an hour away. So we, you know, get to see a movie if the kids behave, you know, but, um, it's real hard. It's real hard to consume. That's why I do this show at 11 o'clock at night. Cause the rest of the day is just a sprint, a sprint to passing out. You, I know I said that I don't watch a lot of horror, but I did watch, uh, I have seen the Jordan Peele movies. Yes. Um, on the subject of what have been of how Spider-Verse was my favorite movie of last year, I think Us might be my favorite movie of this year so far. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's pretty up there. It's pretty different from most movies that I've seen this year. And it re- has really stuck to me. Not it's like in certain- a creepy way or like a haunting kind of way where like uh, I think uh, Lupita Nyong'o is going to come to my house or whatever. No, nothing like that. But it really just sticks to me from like a filmmaking kind of way, like Lupita's performance, the various twists that the story goes to, through, that final reveal at the end and the final shot of the movie. Oh, yeah. it's, it's very haunting. Like it sticks with you. That that and, man is a very talented, talented director. That yeah. that shit is, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's really something. It's a it it's a masterwork. It is something very special. That movie. Um, I can't wait to see what he does next. I can't wait to see Midsummer, the follow up to Hereditary. I don't know if you've seen Hereditary, but that, if you're not a fan of horror, I would warn you. It's on the in. list. Hereditary is awesome, but hereditary is hereditary. Hereditary shut me off for a little while. Really? After hereditary is a mean fucking movie. Oh my god! I have Ooh. seen some uh, context-free spoilers Ooh. for that movie, like some of the things that happen in the movie and some of the performances. Oh. And uh, I have a. I have a pretty good idea of um, what's it not not great idea of what the plot is about, but some of like the big moments. Definitely. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and um, the one the one of the movie's biggest moments, which I won't say what it is in case you haven't heard it, but it probably has been blown, happens in like the first twenty minutes of the movie. I think so. I think I've heard that. It's just like really like th- you're doing this now, like. How can it get worse than this? And then the movie goes, oh, don't worry. <laughs> it, it was it was it was an experience, let me tell you. And I've heard um, Midsommar, which is like his pagan, like um, Wicker Man style movie. Uh-huh. Jordan Peele calls Midsommar atrociously disturbing. Oh, boy. Well, now you have to see it. <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, I'm going to I'm going to give you a chance to to get a final thought, because as you probably know of me, I could talk forever and ever and ever and ever. But um, oh, yeah. it's one in the morning for me. Um, oh. So 
I really appreciate this and can't wait to have you back on to talk horror because um, like like what happens with almost all my guests, I think we get along really well and I'd love to keep talking to you. Um, I hope you enjoyed um, shooting the shit with me, as it were. Absolutely. Um, so what else, let, let's give a final thought. What's um, what's something else on your mind before we cut off? Okay, uh, two thoughts. On the subject of horror, uh, have you seen the trailer for Dr. Sleep? <laughs> have I seen it or have I watched it like a hundred times and analyzed every frame? Either. Both. Okay. <laughs> um, I am so unbelievably excited. I have seen The Shining. Have so. you seen everything Mike Flanagan has made? I have not. I recommend seeing everything the guy that directed Dr. Sleep has made. He is batting the only 1,000 of current directors that are working. Well, besides Jordan Peele, but he's only done two. Yeah. Mike Flanagan made this movie called Absentia. He made this movie called Oculus. He made this movie called Before I Wake. He made this movie called Hush for Netflix. He made Gerald's Game, which was another Stephen King adaptation. And he made The Haunting of Hill House, which could very well be one of the best horror television shows I've ever seen. And he's adapting Dr. Sleep. And Dr. Sleep, the book, does not tie in with the original Shining as much as it looks like this movie is doing. Like, it's definitely a sequel, but it's its own thing. But I what I something like that. what I think is really cool is Stephen King publicly detests Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining. That's true. and it's and it's very different. But Stephen King is one hundred percent behind this adaptation of Doctor Sleep, and they're directly visually tying it in with the Kubrick Shining. Did you know that outside of the blood elevator scene in the trailer for Doctor Sleep, everything else? that looks like it's from the shining is all recreated shots. I have seen a couple of things about that on so Twitter the last cool. few days that <laughs> it's not footage from the original movie air recreations. Yeah. Of the overlook hotel scenes from the shining. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty nerdy and pretty cool. Yes. Pretty I, I cannot wait. Um, I would highly recommend if you're looking to get into horror watching The Haunting of Hill House because The Haunting of Hill House is way more um, a psychological horror than there's no real, really gory, the little bit maybe imagery, but it's it's more just about how, you know, families can get affected by stuff. And it's it's technically a brilliant, brilliant show. They stage an episode um it's an hour long show. They did an episode in three long takes that they interspliced like Hitchcock rope style to make it look like there's no cut, but they did it in three takes and it's unbelievable. Like it's just such a cool show, man. Anyway. Yeah. So Dr. Sleep, okay, what did you think? What did you, what did you think of the Dr. Sleep trailer? Um, I, let me see. The well, obviously, the things that stuck out to me the most were the callbacks to The Shining. Um, is Owen McGregor doing an American accent? Because I think he is. It it's sounds like, his normal like accent. It. yeah, it sounds like it. That would make sense. 
but and I do feel like I get the gist of the plot. There's other people who have the shine, the gifts, yes. yep. and they're being haunted by a cult, basically. And it's up to Owen McGregor's character, who's the kid from The Shining, all grown up, to protect this girl who's being haunted. Hunt. Yes, I, be- I believe I'm. I'm only partway through the book. And I, also, I, there's the ahead. scenes that where it feels like uh, McGregor is in a room, but it that has references to things from The Shining, like the "Here's Johnny" door, basically. Yes. Like at the end of the trailer. And apparently these are all things that are happening inside his head. These aren't this. That's what I'm gathering from what I've looked up about the trade, the movie and the back, the book. I'm not sure if you know about any of that. I do. Okay. I do. Well, that's all I got on Dr. Sleep so far. Cool, man. Well, I, I'm going to say that it is getting incredibly late, so I think we'll hold the, the rest for the next time I have you on. Is that all right? Definitely. All right. I would like to thank you again. I really appreciate this. And um, so I'll say thank you, Arturo Garza Flores, for shooting the shit with Chippa. And I'll see you next time. All right. See you next time. Absolutely.